Sweet. Okay, turn to Psalm 73. Glad to be here this weekend. And as was mentioned, I am much better with numbers than I am with words, but bear with me here. Um, This chapter, Psalm 73, has been one that's been, it's meant a lot to me in the last five months or so. Um, Just a passage that I keep coming back to, one that's convicted me over and over again and yet encouraged me over and over again. If you would, let's stand for the reading of God's word just to honor it. We're going to read the last two verses of the chapter, Psalm 73. It says, For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this evening. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would... Have me do your word justice tonight, that what is said would be exactly what you want said, that I wouldn't misinterpret anything, but that you would speak through me and that your Holy Spirit would have free reign in our hearts to apply it as you would see fit. And Lord, that we would be benefited by spending time in your word here tonight. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. These last two verses, in my mind, are a summary of the entire chapter. And we're going to go through the entire chapter, so we'll get back to the summary verses here at the end. If you fall asleep, we're still in the middle. Just take another nap. We'll be at the end shortly. Psalm 73 is part of a section of Psalms called the Psalms of Asaph. Um, There's some debate whether or not David actually dictated them or if it was Asaph writing them. Asaph was, you could call him the song leader in David's day, and there in the temple. He was leading songs in the the one ministering in the music. So if I, I'm going to try to be consistent, but if I mix up David and Asaph, bear with me with that. The, this details someone's procession through what was started to be a bad attitude, you could call it, into what they realized was reality, into what they realized what, their right response should be. So let's start in verse 1. We're going to read through the chapter, and we'll see what God has to say to us tonight. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Amen to that. But here's the beginning of the story. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. You see someone here who is looking at what they can see, and they're becoming envious at the wicked. There are no bands in their death. It means there's no no bondage there. At least it seems that there's nothing that binds them when they die. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Verse 6, therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them with, as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily, 
They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in, in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They have increase in riches. Asaph here is looking at the wicked and and starting to wonder, how can these people, as wicked and ungodly as they are, be so prosperous? You see them described with words as prosperity, strength, no trouble or plagues, pride, fatness. But yet you see that they're wicked and evil, but they're described as having being violent, corrupt, speaking wickedly, questioning God's knowledge of their actions and ungodly. Not only does Asaph see the wicked here, but he sees himself in verse 13, and he starts to wonder if he's even doing the right thing or if it's even worth doing the right thing. Verse 13, Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. He says, even the thoughts I have, if I was to say them out loud, I'd get in trouble for this. When I thought to know this, verse 16, it was too painful for me. We see the righteous here is, Asaph wonders, have I cleansed my heart in vain? Is it even worth it to be righteous? He says, for all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. It's too painful to even think of this. It's perplexing and unfair. I think all of us could say we've been there at times to look at the world around us and wonder how does so-and-so get away with such wickedness and why do they go unpunished? And why is it that I'm doing the best I can to follow the Lord and yet I struggle and I go through trials? It's a it's What he's seeing is not incorrect. What he's seeing is true. These things actually do happen. But it's a dangerous path to go down. You start treating your Obedience to God is like a transaction, is, is, is meaning I'm being obedient to God. And when God doesn't come through like I think he ought to, then I question whether or not it was worth it to be obedient. We start to question God's will and his sovereignty and whether or not it's worth following the Lord. That's what Asaph saw. That's sometimes what we can see. But then we see what Asaph understood. He says in verse 17, until, he said it was too painful to even think about this until I went into the sanctuary of God. What a concept there. That when we go and meet with God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou castest them down into destruction, How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awaketh. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. He realizes and he sees more than just what he physically sees, but he sees spiritually 
the wicked are in a very precarious situation. The wrath of God is abiding over them. Verse 21, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I, and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. We treat animals as being foolisher than we are, as they are. We can train a dog to do things, and he does what we train him to do. We can have command over animals, and yet that's the way God sees us. In reality, we're so foolish compared to what God is and what God knows, his sovereignty. Asaph understood that the wicked are in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. They are brought into desolation as in a moment. Verse 20, as in a dream when one awaketh. He likens this to that their prosperity and their seemingly successful life is but a dream. And when God chooses to awake and dish out judgment, they're going to be despised by him. He sees that their, that the wicked's end and their situation is much more precarious than he realized. But he also understands something about the righteous. Verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Asaph is looking at what he can see, and he sees the wicked in all their seemingly prosperous life. And he sees the, the righteous, including himself, living a righteous life, but yet seemingly being, seemingly failing in some ways in that they're constantly being going through trials, being put through tribulations. But when he went and met with God, he understood, he gained understanding that the wicked's position with God is much more precarious than he realized, and the righteous standing with God is much more blessed than he realized. I want to focus a little bit on these blessings that he mentions that the righteous have Verse 23, nevertheless, he says nevertheless in response to his foolishness, in spite of how foolish he was to question God and to wonder if it was right to serve the Lord or worth it, these things are still true. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. He realized that he had God's presence. The more and more I get to know the Lord, the closer I come to him, the more I appreciate his presence. And I think there's a reason why we call this a sanctuary. And this is we, we, we don't run in the sanctuary, not because it's just not proper, but this is where we meet with God and this is where we hear from God. We don't take his presence, or we shouldn't take his presence for granted. In Exodus 33, Moses has just come down from the mountain. He's break, or broken the Ten Commandments. And he goes to meet with God. 
And while he's in the temple, the cloud comes down and fills, or fills the tabernacle. And God gives Moses instruction, and he leaves. But Joshua stays in the tabernacle, it says, and he departed not, because he stayed and communed with God. We also see in the same passage that what God had told Moses was basically, you know what, Moses, I'm going to send an angel with you, and you're going to go into the promised land, but God's not going to go with them. And Moses pleads with God to come with them, and in the end, Moses tells God, God, I'm paraphrasing, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. Because that's how much Moses valued God's presence in their life. Psalms 24 is another passage. I'm just going to keep your finger in 73, but I just read a couple of verses out of Psalms 24. Verse 3. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. I want to focus there on verse 5. Where he's asked the question, who can go into the hill, who can ascend into the hill of the Lord, who can stand in his holy place? In other words, who can be where God is? You have to have clean hands and a pure heart. Thankfully, as someone who's accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I am cleansed. And I do have access now into the Holy of Holies. But verse 5 says, it says, He shall receive the blessing from the Lord. It doesn't say a blessing. It doesn't say blessings from the Lord. I believe the blessing is being in God's presence. Asaph realized, I see everything that's going on in the world, and it vexes his soul. But yet I see the wicked's end, And all of a sudden I realize I have God's presence with me. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Secondly, thou hast holden me by my right hand. Verse 24, back in 73. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. We have, what Asaph realizes, the righteous have God's guidance. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, very well-known verses, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. I think it's significant here that he says, thou hast holden me by my right hand. The right hand is significant. Right hand symbolizes control and power. You've heard the phrase right hand man. The king, whoever sat on his right hand was his go-to guy. That was the guy that he turned to when he needed something. When he wanted something done, that was the guy that went and did it. So if God's got my hand, my right hand, it means my control, my power is under his control and his power. He says, and afterward, in the end of verse 24, receive me to glory. We have assurance of eternity. If you're not saved, you don't have this, but being saved, I have absolute hope. Not just hope as we use it today as like something that might happen. I have the word in the Bible, the word hope means I have assurance. I have confidence that of my eternal destiny, and that's with God. Verse 25, Who, Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. 
Asaph realized that God, at least should be, his focus. Some of us, say several of us, have people in heaven that we're looking for. Think of Mrs. Adams, Mrs. Cruz, Tom May, I know John Mark's grandmother. There's people that we know are waiting for us in heaven, and we'll get to see them again one day. But I think we overestimate how important earthly relationships will be in heaven, and we underestimate how important our relationship with God will be in heaven. There's a reason why that marriage doesn't exist in heaven. It's because there's, we'll be so focused on being with God and being in God's presence and worshiping Him for all of eternity that really any other relationship seems so shallow. There's none on earth that I desire beside thee. This goes back to, back to God's presence. There isn't anything more that we should desire or any other one that we should desire besides the Lord. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart faileth. This is the verse that gets me. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart. God's our strength. Isaiah 40, 31 says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Asaph realized that through all of this, God's his strength. And it doesn't just stop there. God's our satisfaction. The end of verse 26, and my portion forever. God ought to be our satisfaction. There isn't anything else that we should be seeking. We have God. We have salvation. Why, Why are we still wanting more? Why are we still searching for success in this life? We're supposed to be doing our best and working hard and honoring the Lord through that, but our satisfaction is should be found in the Lord. More than just He's what satisfies, He's my portion. So in other words, of the whole that I could want, I choose God. He's my portion. So Asaph, he sees the world and in a way becomes depressed at his, the wicked and they seemingly get away with everything. He sees himself and thinks, is it really worth serving God? But then he goes to the house of the Lord and he understands the wicked and their end. And he understands the righteous standing with God and how much more blessed it is than he realized. And then lastly, our conclusion. What Asaph learned in the last two verses. First we see the wicked in verse 27. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. I want to take a step back. More than just understanding. Understanding is knowledge. It's what you understand something and you comprehend it. Learning means this produces action. When you learn something, I remember, I'm going to tell the story. When Josh, years ago, was hammering something out in the yard and decided that he wanted to go do something else or go find a different tool, so he threw the hammer up in the air and walked off and clunk it hit him in the head. And so he got some stitches for that. And I'm pretty sure that one or 
both of my parents asked him, well, after it was all said and done, did you learn anything? Because if you learn something, that means I'm changing my actions. He sees the wicked. He sees what he thinks is success. But then he sees that their true end. And now he says, this is what he learned. For they, for lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. Their seemingly prosperity is not even a thought now. He realizes their end is destruction and to perish. Notice that this is not, you know, most of them will perish. Some of them will get what they deserve. No, they that are far from thee shall perish. It's a certainty. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. I want to point out here, just as a side note, this isn't just those that have always been ungodly. The word or the term a-whoring is not a good word to think about. But it means that you were once close to what you ought to be faithful to and you've left to go search and find fulfillment in something else. But the second thing he learned, more than just that the wicked are going to get what they quote-unquote deserve. On the other hand, rather than wondering if he should change his way and seek and act and live like the ungodly, he says, no, actually, it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. He's, He's standing here and he's, He sees the wicked, and he sees their seemingly prosperous life. And he sees himself and his righteousness that he's been living for the Lord. And I believe in this passage, I don't think he has sin in his life necessarily. He's just been doing what he knows God wants him to do. But yet he doubts whether or not this is the place he ought to be. But God, through his word, shows him understanding that, no, their end is much more worse than you realize And Asaph's position with the Lord is much better than he realized. And because of that, Asaph says, no, I actually need to draw closer to the Lord than to go that direction towards the wicked. Once Asaph understood the wicked's end and all the goodness and blessing he'd received from the Lord, he concluded that in spite of what he saw happening, the wicked would get their due, and he ought to draw nearer to God, trust And declare his works. I'd like to just give a short illustration or show this. Dad, can you come up here? My dad is going to illustrate God in this example, I guess. Not because I think he is close to being God. As much as... It's hard to find a better example of who God is to a Christian than a father. We tend to look at the world and we see politics and we see the way our world is going and it, it seems bleak sometimes. And we wonder how can so-and-so get away with so much for so long and it seems common knowledge that they're wicked and yet they get away with it. And yet 
and they seem to be prosperous even. And we look at ourselves and we wonder, well, I'm just here doing what I know is right, day in and day out. I'm struggling to make ends meet sometimes. But until we go to God's house and we realize, no, 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 their end is coming. And my position in Christ right now is way more blessed than what meets the eye from the exterior. When we spend time with God, we realize they're in a precarious place and we are in a much more blessed place. And we have to conclude that the wicked's way isn't worth it. And not only is this worth it, but I need to do this and draw even closer to the Lord. We see in the passage that it says, I think this is awesome, we realize how close we are to God, we're in God's presence, but he says, Thou hast holden me by my right hand, thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. You want to grab my hand? Now I want you to grab with your left. I want you to walk slowly down the, towards the door out there. Now, it says that God's guiding me and leading me. And it says, afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? My focus is on the Lord. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is my strength and my portion forever. While I'm following God as he's leading, my focus is on the Lord. And I'm watching him. And not only is my focus on the Lord as I'm watching him, my desire is to be even as close as I can as he's leading and guiding. Just wait right there. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. I put my trust in the Lord. So in other words, I'm looking at him and I'm not watching what's going on around me. If you remember Peter on the sea when he's walking on the water, when did he start to sink? When he took his eyes off the Lord and his faith dwindled to nothing. I'm focused on the Lord and as he leads me and guides me, the closer I am to him, the less chance I run into anything else along the way. The closer I am to him, the less chance something comes and breaks his hold on me and guidance. Thanks, Dan. I remember, if you've ever been to a, a ball game or a major sporting event or something, usually when the game's over, it's a whole sea of people running out the gates. I remember years ago, we've been to many games, but I remember years ago going to Fenway Park in Boston with my uncle Noah and my dad. And I would have been, I don't know, I was 2009, so I'd probably be 11. And I was with my dad, and I remember we took all kinds of subways to get there and trains and who knows all what. And then when we left the game, I just remember it was a sea of people, and here I am with my dad holding onto my hand, and I'm just trying to stay as close as I can to him. Because if, if I lose him, all of a sudden I could be who knows where without realizing it. It's the way it ought to be with God. The closer I can be to him, the less distractions there ought to be. And me, as I'm following him through the crowd, my eyes are locked on his backside. I'm not looking at anything else around me, at least I shouldn't be, because I'm focused on staying with him 
And also, I'm trusting that he knows where he's going, and I don't. I'm just staying as close as I can to my father as he leads and guides. The last part here, I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all thy works. Some of us, myself included, are tempted sometimes to say, I, I just don't see God working. I don't know that I have anything to declare. And I would say to myself and all of us, maybe it's because we're not near enough to God to see Him working. When we're near with the Lord, to the Lord, it's much more easy to see Him working in our life. It's much more easy to trust Him when we're close to Him. Let me just read this statement that I wrote down as a conclusion, I guess. When things don't happen the way we want them to, or expected them to, seeking the Lord reveals how good we already have it, how blessed we are in our standing with God. This understanding of God and his goodness should only drive us to draw closer to him, trust him more, and then declare his works. If you would, let's stand and pray. I'm going to pray in just a moment and have an invitation, not so much that I know 